Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Alec, CTO of Wealth App, and they discuss how Wealth App builds applications for patients to create healthy habits, how the relationship between Wealth App and healthcare providers helped the company reach new areas in the medical field, and how they found a way to financially incentivize people to take care of themselves. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So tell me a little bit about what Wealth does. Am I saying that right? Yeah, we just say wealth. Wealth? Uh, yeah. Wealth. <laughs> well- Sorry. Wealth. <laughs> so tell me a little well- bit about what wealth does. Yeah. So we build mobile applications that go in the hands of patients as they're leaving the hospital uh, or as they're leaving their doctor's office. And what we do is we basically provide a medication adherence rewards program. Um, so we want patients to take their medications and to do the other elements of their care plan that their doctors prescribed. And as long as they do those things, we're willing to give them a financial bonus. Um, so when they start on our application, they get money deposited right into their account. They can see it in the app as long as they do all the things they're supposed to and they just demonstrate that they're doing them by taking a picture of, let's say, their pills in their hands um, or a picture of their glucometer, other tasks like that. As long as they do those things, then they get to keep all that money um, and it gets paid out to them on a debit card or a gift card. If they don't do those things, each time they don't do them, they lose a small amount of money, like a dollar or two dollars. Um, and we found that this loss aversion is a really powerful motivator and it's been able to get patients who were previously... Um, not as good at managing their health to be completely adherent. Wow, man. Insurance companies must love you. Insurance companies love us. The doctors love us. And, you know, I think the patients uh, eventually love us too. They're getting paid and, and they're getting healthier and having better outcomes. You know, I worked on something similar in the space with a, um, so I was at the vet, like veterinary clinic, and mm-hmm. the girl checking me out says, you know, here's three things. You need two of these on Wednesdays and Fridays and two of these on Sundays and Mondays and only one of those, you know, on, on every other Thursday. And this one will last three weeks, this one six weeks, and this one 2.486 weeks. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, can you just, I was like, look, I looked at her and I said, in the nicest way possible, I said, the dog will probably die unless if you write out in a list the dates and what I'm supposed to give them. Because handing me three bottles like that, I say, oh yeah, you just read it and then you read it, it's crypt. So what I uh, built as like a little prototype was you take a picture of the directions on how to take it and it takes the text and actually converts it into a schedule. Nice. Yeah, nice. just a little. So it reminded me of this when I heard like, you know, incentives for taking your medicine because some of the schedules can be kind of crazy too about like when you actually have to take stuff. Yeah, and I think it's really hard also for people to just uh, sort of get over that hump of, first of all, acknowledging that you have to be doing this um, new medication regimen, but then also just remembering to do it and, and fighting the real battle, which is either forgetting or, or just not feeling motivated to do it. Even though we know that there's this long-term health outcome, it's hard to see that in the near term. So it's much easier if we can find a way to reflect that as value that's meaningful to you right now. We're like hacking humans. We're like realizing how we actually work and then building tools to incentivize us based on that. Totally. We know what's best for us, but we don't always do that. So um, the whole point of our company is to help us try to you know, help ourselves to behave better, to um, do things that are in our best interest. Yeah. Like it's no one is at a lack of information for how to be healthy. 
<laughs> you eat better food and you exercise. But it's like a multi-billion dollar industry finding different ways and convincing and telling people that same thing totally. in just different ways. It's like every health trainer, every period. Totally. And education is important, um, especially, you know, disease education and knowing what medications do and why you should take them. Um, but that's only part of the toolkit. And I think motivation is a really important part of it too. So who are your first customers? How did you get your start? One of our sort of first pilot customers uh, is a company called ElderServe or River Spring Health. And they are a managed long-term care provider or company. And so they have a whole bunch of uh, patients who are, a lot of them are, are dual eligible, so Medicaid and Medicare, which means that they're uh, older and um, not that financially advantaged. And so what we did is we, we took a look at that population. We carved out the piece of it that were uh, poorly managed type 2 diabetics. And uh, we essentially went to work in that population, started enrolling those members and getting them to adhere to their medications. And then when that went really well, we ended up expanding into heart failure as well there. And so that's been like our, our first real test of it. Um, we're also running a randomly controlled study at, a, at an academic university. And then we have a handful of other customers uh, in the similar space of Medicaid. And we're working on some commercial ones as well. So who was it at first? Do you, are you the author of the applications or do you have a team or like, how is it, how was it structured at the beginning when you first started trying to figure this out? It's been a long road. It's um, a long road. It always is. <laughs> it's, it, look, it's better than a short road that goes nowhere. So we started out in an accelerator called Tiger Labs, which is in Princeton. And we had some really good ideas and we started basically building them in a bubble um, and not getting that much feedback. And then uh, we started going out and making calls with um, kind of healthcare executives and we'd get some useful information. We'd get some kind of, <clears throat> hey, that's interesting, you know, come back when I can buy it sort of things. But that's not really that much useful feedback for us. So for a while, we were just doing that. I was building simple prototypes on the web um, and very simple mobile app prototypes. Then we decided it was time for us to build our first application that we could actually test with users and get feedback. My background before I started Wealth it's, it's sort of silly, right? Uh, we're a mobile application company. My background is data engineering primarily. Right. So I'm deep in the back end. Um, so I had a lot to learn on the mobile side. And so our first prototype, we actually ended up using a dev shop um, called Apperson Labs. And we had them build out a prototype for us using something called Accelerator Titanium. Oh, so I know. Can, yeah. Yep. So it could be compatible with both iOS and Android with the same code base. And we How used that, that to work our first out? test. Uh, it was okay. It was okay. Yeah. Um, it definitely worked. Uh, the user interface, it was good, but it, you could tell that it wasn't native application. Just little little things, right? It's oh, yeah. Fun. I've used it. I've written, I, I wrote a tit, uh, Titanium Excel app, and then uh, and I was like, eh, and then, because it was just like, for it's amazing for like a prototype to figure something out real quick. It's great. But then I switched and, and tried like the React native stuff, and that's like for real. You know, that's yeah. really solid. So we have, we've come full circle. Our first uh, product was in the Absolator Titanium. Yeah. We released that. We actually um, we managed to do a test there, basically testing different incentive levels, um, high incentives versus low incentives versus basically no incentives, and found that the incentives really matter. Um, so like our, you know, our, our founding principle was true, um, and that was great to get out of that. So then we, um, we hired an Android developer and an iOS developer. We raised some money and started building native apps because we we're like, we want to get out of this uncanny valley. We want to get to the point where the apps feel good. Um, and we did that. And that's actually the product that's in the market right now. Nice. It's having um, really good results. And we're very proud of that. 
Um, so about six months after product launch, we were looking at our code base. Like, okay, it's stable. It's good. It's operating. We know we want to add a bunch of features. We've learned enough now about the design that we actually think we want to do a pretty significant redesign visually of the application and user experience flows. And we know enough about the dumb mistakes we made with some of our data structures or you know, assumptions we made that are no longer the case that we think it, it might actually be a good idea to change some of those as well. And our developers are kind of getting lonely um, in their own code bases, <laughs> you know, just the one iOS guy, just the one Android guy. And we kept fixing the same bugs in both places and realized we really ought to be operating out of one code base. So now we've come full circle and we've actually built a whole new application in React Native and our Ooh. formerly native Java and Swift developers are now JavaScript developers and they're uh, writing a great React Native app. That's amazing because it allows them to also port anything that they that's not already ported as a package, right? So they can get really low level because they're native developers by default. Yeah, it's great actually because our application is very camera focused. And right. so at first with the React Native app, we um, use just a default off the shelf uh, camera but they've actually been going back through and implementing a whole new camera module with a lot of like extensions and stuff that they only know about because they're deep in the native elements of that. Right. They don't have to. They're not reliant on the community porting features. They can go in and write their. I think their bindings or whatever it may be. That. So what's like the next step with the business? So our big goal now is just to get more users. Um, the long. I, mean, I know that sounds simple, but it's, it's towards a. a <laughs> it should be simple, though. Your 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 goal that you're trying to achieve for everyone to hit it should be a, a simple goal. Exactly. The longer term goal of the business is to get to the point where we can service large customers, especially health insurers. So that's where the the revenue starts getting really juicy for us, uh, and where we can serve a lot of people at once. To get to that point, we have to have first of all pretty clear evidence that our product. Uh, is effective, so that it's actually achieving the objectives that it's meant to, and then also that it can scale to large numbers of people, right? Because a health insurer will come in and say, "Great, I'm ready to put this, to implement this with you know 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 people," um, and right now, you know, our patient populations are in the hundreds or the low thousands, right? So, our goal is is to get that population much larger, to get to the point where it's 5,000 or 10,000, and then we feel like we're ready to address these much larger customers. That's so exciting, man. You yeah. sound like you have a really clear view. What sort of material do you consume, like books and things like that? Where do you get your leadership information from? I'm all over the place. I read Good. a lot of blogs. Um, you know, I, I certainly read the stuff that's coming out of Rock Health. That's always interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a handful of other healthcare blogs. Of course, I just read Hacker News. You know, whatever comes through when I get a little burnout and want to open a web tab and just let my mind wander for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but a lot of what we get is coming out of um, either behavioral economics research or it's coming out of some of the business backgrounds of my co-founder and, and other people in my business. So my co-founder, is uh, he, he did uh, bioengineering in college, and then he did um, some time at Goldman Sachs as a healthcare investment banker, and then was working at a hedge fund called OrbiMed Advisors, which is a um, healthcare-focused hedge fund. And he was working on a deal... He was looking at health insurers, and so he got to really know the healthcare industry very well. Uh, so it's been fascinating to kind of pull some of that information out of his mind and get acquainted with that. And you know, as we talk about sort of the long-term goals of our company, it's it's the melding of the technology side that I'm bringing and the business side that he's bringing, and trying to figure out how we can figure all that out into a strategy roadmap. Yeah, that's super essential too. The fact that you have a co-founder that has relationships in the space and is willing to handle that side of the business so that you can focus on the product and the scaling of the technology. 
Yeah. And it's interesting. It's, it's definitely the relationships. It's also just even understanding the landscape. I had no idea when we started this business, he kept using words like payers and providers. And I didn't really know what that meant. A payer is a healthcare insurer and a provider is like a doctor or a hospital Mm -hmm. to really understand that whole business landscape was a challenge. But now that we get it a lot better, now that I get it a lot better, uh, it's really helped me to think about what we can do with the products both from a product management and a technology side. Yeah, understanding the landscape is so important. Uh, I was talking this morning to Chad Fowler, and we were discussing how a lot of the entrepreneurs, they go to VCs or to raise money, and they just want, you know, they want money from them or whatever it may be, and they present to them. But a lot of them don't understand how they get money. And so (laughs) these funds get money by going out and pitching to people who have money, that they're going to manage their high volatility, volatility, like high risk in the technology market, and they have a profile. And, and so their perspective is every investment I make as a fund needs to be able to pay back the entire fund because 80% of them are going to fail. So that's like the qualifier. So they're saying a lot of the uh, conversations I've had with people like off the calls, like on these micro calls, is yeah, they've got so much money. Like, why can't they just give me, you know, two hundred thousand dollars or like well, whatever, maybe? And I'm like, okay, well, this is gonna be an education, right? <laughs> so they <laughs> they need to believe that your idea is going to be able to actually pay back like the entire fund. Like it'll yeah. be that successful that you as the sing- they'll make a hundred investments and every single one of them needs to be able to pay back the fund with their hit. So. Yeah, it's been kind of a crazy process also just learning about that VC market. Um, right. And it's definitely, you know, it's a little bit of pressure thinking about, wow, I need to return, you know, 100x. Um, but when you look at the, the industry and you look at what's out there, right, if we look at some of these health insurer contracts, that might bring in $10 million, $20 million of annual revenue, just that one contract alone. So once you get really good traction, you can scale. The healthcare market is so big. There's so many dollars being spent. There's so many problems to solve that it's very possible. Yeah. And, and then it also, if you put your focus on the value to the individual using it, that's how yep. you win. Because when you put that first opportunity just floods you and it's, it's just unbelievable what can happen because someone's using it and they love it. And then they talk about it with someone else and then they love it and they talk about it with someone else. And then eventually enough people are talking that the people that are hearing about it Jenny or John who owns a $10 billion medical firm or insurer firm or payer or payee, whatever it may be, right? And then they're like, we have to have this. Three of my friends say it's the greatest thing ever. Why doesn't my company have this? We're like the largest in the industry. Go get those wealth people, like, right? <laughs> and then that's, that's where you get into a position where you switch from you pushing out to people coming in, which is a great yeah. position to be in. <laughs> My co-founder, Matt, loves to talk about the snowball effect, um, yes. which is the idea that as we've been building this product and as we've been building the company and building our reputation, you know, we're gradually just adding these little bits of um, either testimonials from people or evidence that we can produce or just a working application um, and sort of a, a rigorous process. And all these little things keep adding up uh, little by little. And there's all these stakeholders in the system too, right? There's the users that you're talking about there's the doctors who are working with those users who are patients. And then there's the hospital system that the doctors exist in. And there's the payers that are working in the hospital system. Then there's the insurers. And so as we get to the point where we get recognition from all those different entities, it's exactly right. that It's that sort of brand recognition, that awareness, and that reputation of quality. Um, and, and building that mindset um, and mind share among all those people is what has really allowed us to begin to succeed. 
yeah, you want to be the cool piece of technology that they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So I love your headphones. They look like the drummer headphones. <laughs> they are. Yeah? You play a little yeah. drums? I have been. I yeah? have been, yeah. What do you like playing? Uh, so I play in a jazz fusion band, actually, called what? The West Cat. Yeah. 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 So we play all kinds of stuff. We play like Herbie Hancock. We play the Brecker Brothers, um, Snarky Puppy, Stevie Wonder, a little bit of everything. You um, have to put that into your VC pitch to be like, we're good on timing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? <I'm> like, exactly. <laughs> so do you ever get people like that mention that you look young? I do. I used to get it a lot. Like, people used to think I was still in college when I was like 27. Yeah. Uh, and now I get, you know, maybe I'm 25 or something. So yep, I roll with it's a little annoying. <laughs> yeah, it does. But I like to talk about it. Like I've had a couple guests that look young and I like to bring it up because I, you can tell you, you can see me. Mm-hmm. And, and so even when I'm rolling around with my daughter and my wife, like, and we're both in our early thirties and like people still think that we're like very young. I think it's a blessing though. It's, it's kind of nice to be in a meeting when someone underestimates you because they think you're younger as well. This was the conversation I was having with someone else that looked young. I said, I love it because it allows me to go in under the radar and the whole time they're just like, lack experience. They don't know what the, they, they haven't seen anything in life. They don't, and they, they, they build this whole persona in their mind before I even open my mouth. Totally. And then I just answer their questions and share some insight and speak last, which is the thing that I've learned like is the best. And because when you speak last, you have something to say, right? (laughs) And then they're just like, oh man, then, then you get that chance because they underestimate you and then they get, they'll talk about you like, oh, so surprised. Like when they're wrong, you know, like (laughs) it's, it's so, it's so great. So that helps definitely with, um, the VC. Now, because we're older, like we experienced that a lot younger. You've been in technology for quite a while, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I started writing code at eight with my father. He was a programmer. And so he taught me. And so I was writing code all the way through high school and like just always. And so I'm in, I was like 16 sitting in a, like a room with like board members and they were all just like looking at me. Like I was the youngest thing in the world. I'm just like, yeah, I made this code and it does this. And like, I was just really relaxed, just showing them what I did. And their minds were blown because it was useful to their business. The fact that someone who looked like their um, grandkid who is not necessarily achieving something in life could bring such value to their business, they admired. And I'm like, look, I'm just here to build something cool that is useful to people. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly experience in life for sure. Yeah. That's exactly Um, what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I I started when I was 13 doing web development and working for a friend's company for a while and then sort of being an intern and uh, working in labs and things like that. I think it's, it's sort of a, it's fractal anyway. Like you can get that when you're 13 and working with someone who's, you know, 35. And even now it feels like that in the healthcare industry, right? Even just being 32, but you're working with these really, um, long established and very set in their ways organizations in some cases. Um, so it's, it's still feel that same experience of like, wow, you kids can actually make something that's going to help us. Um, yeah. It's, isn't it interesting? Even when, like when you're 18 or 16 and you're seeing, and you're working with the 30 year olds that are helping you and in, in moving forward, they're yeah. just like, so in the market and so much like senior to you. And then when you hit the thirties range, you're like, everyone will always see you as a kid that's like a decade older than you or two decades older than you, right? <laughs> right, right. It's right. unbelievable. But the with the transition in technology, it's really helped a lot that 
a lot of younger people had some real big success or that it was talked about because mm-hmm. now it, it it's like curved the hurdle a little bit. Like it's, it's at some points I've seen companies do really stupid things just because the individual was young and smart thinking, Oh, it's going to be just like that. And it's just like, mm, no, not all, not all young people are like smart. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I think especially in some markets that that can happen a lot more easily than others. Right. I think, um, it's very un- easy to underestimate um, the depth of knowledge that's required in healthcare to do something. So, you know, let's say if you're starting a, a biotech company, um, you have to have people who are really experienced, you know, PhDs, postdocs, et cetera, to really do something useful. I think there's, I, I was listening to an um, Andreessen Horowitz podcast about healthcare yeah. recently, talking about the same thing of um, that Silicon Valley needs to learn a little bit of humility when it approaches healthcare, because you can kind of waltz in there with this Silicon Valley bravado and say, you know, I know how to solve everything. You just got to think outside of the box. And then, you know, some of these problems, it's not that they haven't been solved because of no one thinking outside of the box. It's just because it's actually really hard to solve, but it's a very complex system. Well, you're definitely dealing with things in the physical world that are a little bit different because yeah. when, I mean, you have physics and science involved and <laughs> like, you know, when you want to build a, a limb, right, that is half uh, bio and then half organic and connects to the two like yeah sure it sounds easy and and just like theory but right it takes like a million specialists and then it's just like i don't think we've actually done that yet but yeah i actually um i, I have some somewhat close intimate knowledge with some of those um neuroengineering systems that's actually what i wanted to do originally um yeah so i, I worked in a lab that was doing neuroengineering at upenn um now at stanford and actually one of the guys that I had worked with at the time is now working. Uh, I think he's actually a co-founder of Neuralink, um, Elon Musk's startup. What? Yeah, I got. Yeah. This is crazy. <laughs> um, so you're you're really I interested actually, in that? I, I'm very interested in that. Um, I pursued it for a little while, and I realized after a handful of summers of working in labs that working in a lab is just is not really for me. Um, yeah, I need something with a little bit more freedom, a little bit more autonomy, um, and I think you can get that later. Or you can get that if you really take the right path in an academic lab. Um, but I was I just gravitated towards software and towards startups. Yeah, the path was a little bit clearer. Like you could have that right now. You do, you're a great leader, man. So so you you'll you'll have a one on one, and then you'll pick something that they're going to focus on, like for the next week before your next one on one. And these are your direct reports, right? So Correct. and and then you re, and then that comes back up, and you'll revisit it. I'll try to. It's if I remember it too, right? It's hard to, to even keep track of all that. I keep notes sometimes, um, and I generally know we're a small enough team so that it's it's easy to remember um, sort of what what people are focusing on. But. Ooh, give me a couple things that you've had people work on. Um, so I think some of it has been around communication. Um, so ways that yes. we can communicate better with each other. Um, ways that we can facilitate the flow of information from like between the business and the tech sides, between um, the tech people and each other. Um, some of it has also been around, um, I mean, it, it sounds so middle school or something, but like attitude. Um, in, I, I, want, I want us to all be highly competent, but also still humble. Um, yes. and I think that there, there have been times when, um, when people get just a little bit overconfident about a certain aspect of their work. Um, and it's important to, to always keep the perspective that, um, someone else couldn't know something that you don't, <laughs> um, even if it's your core technology, um, and that it's, there's huge value in being able to be open and, and learn from other people. Highly competent and still humble. 
Oh, I love it. Dude, that's so, that's so great, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Those are the people that I, that I'm just amazed by is when, you know, when you see someone who's, who just bleeds and oozes, um, you know, excellence, but can still operate really well on a team and just isn't an asshole then. Yeah. Well, you want people that are like you. That's, I, that's I how you're if like. I, if I use confidence yeah. all the time, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I do. I want, I want people who are, who will be a great part of a team in that way. And then, you know, I've also noticed that like, it's a lot, we're as animals, right? We're monkey see monkey do heavily driven. So a lot of people will be adapting behaviors just because they know someone who's successful, who's kind of a jerk. Like the Steve Jobs effect, right? So many entrepreneurs wanted to treat their people poorly because they thought that Steve Jobs treated their people poorly, right? Right. And they thought that, oh, if I imitate that individual, I'll have success. And there are times that you have to be dedicated to what you believe. Um, so yes. we, we have a list of values up in our office. Um, and one of them that we came up with as a team was to be thoughtfully confrontational. So it's really important when you when you strongly believe in something that you're able to um, confront people about it and, and, you know, be able to speak your mind and, and sort of hold your ground, but also to be thoughtful about it and not just to come out attacking. You, know, you can be a Steve Jobs. You can be, have a passion for products. You don't have to be an asshole to people uh, to get your job done necessarily. Amen. I mean, like preach it. I wish I had like a little flag I could wave. Totally. So if people want to find out more about you. Do you hang out on LinkedIn, Twitter, email? Yeah. Yeah. Instagram, Twitter, um, you can always check me out at wealthapp.com. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.